Welcome to the Mobile App Makers Podcast, the podcast where I interview mobile app creation experts from all disciplines so we can learn from them. Hello, everybody. Today I'm welcoming Max. Max is the CEO of IT Craftships, and it's a premium tech recruitment and digital product development agency. But he's wearing multiple hats. So he's also a partner and investor at sourceloop.io, a platform to source top engineering talent around the world. Max, do you want to say hi and maybe introduce yourself a little bit more? Absolutely. Hi, Oliver. It's uh, really great to be here. So you, you gave me a pretty good introduction, but I can tell you a little bit more about my background. So I come from software engineering and uh, I've been building software, building digital products for about 16 years. I have worked with different sizes of companies from little startups through scale-ups to enterprises in the insurance, in, in the medical sector. So I, I've been doing a lot of different things, building and leading remote teams. This is uh, something that uh, I've been focused on most recently and developing uh, mobile applications. That's like for the past six years in my career, uh, either as a technical lead uh, or, or even a product owner. I've been creating hybrid mobile apps for, for different uh, companies as well. That's a pretty good focus for six years. So I'm sure a little bit like me over, if you worked in a mobile space for six years, you've probably worked with quite a few mobile technologies to create apps. Do you have a list of what you worked with and you know what they're great for or not great for? Yeah, yeah. So I actually started with mobile development around 2010. So that was with Objective-C, obviously, because that was the only thing around at that time. It was interesting to learn Objective-C coming from a bit of a different languages, like, like C-sharp um, in, in my past. Um, then, so, so native uh, development in Objective-C is what I started actually with. Yep. Then uh, I had a big and long break of developing mobile applications. And when I come back to it, I experimented with the Xamarin framework uh, for a Norwegian startup that we worked with my co-founder six years ago. And Xamarin at that time was pretty immature. So it was pretty hard to, to develop an app with it. We have been stumbling upon a lot of issues. So after playing around with it for a couple of weeks, we decided that we have to look for some alternatives. And we, we discovered Ionic Framework, which was then in uh, version one in a beta and uh, Cordova or PhoneGap at that time as well was, was pretty popular. And this is what I started using. Uh, since that time, most of the projects that I've worked with were actually with Ionic and Angular. Uh, most more recently with Ionic and React. So previously with Cordova, now uh, much more often with Capacitor. But I've also uh, contributed to several projects in React Native and a pretty big Flutter project because I got very excited about Flutter compared to the other hybrid mobile approaches. And we have also built as a team pretty great uh, MVP using this uh, framework. Given all those frameworks that you use, is there some that you can recommend over others for specific purposes? So it's also interesting because on one project, I had a chance to work on a proof of concept of migrating from Ionic, Cordova, uh, and Angular to a proof of concept. It's migrating part of the functionality to Ionic React and React Native. So I actually had a very good comparison of the developer experience across the different platforms. And the speed of delivery on Ionic React with Capacitor was about three times of that using React Native. There was also an interesting thing there because obviously we had previously used Ionic. And so the components, the styling, we could already reuse a lot of that. So, so actually that made the migration a lot simpler and, and also affected some of the results there. Mm -hmm. 
but um, it is really rapid. And if you want to build something quickly and also for free out of the box, get a web version too, Mm -hmm. I usually will go with uh, Ionic. And even for some web applications that need to have like PWAs that need to have a very good uh, mobile experience, you could use Ionic to, to achieve that, which is why we are often using that, especially if the product is a B2B product or a utility application. It's not a B2C, mm-hmm. so not an end user, like a you know consumer-facing app that needs to have like nicer experience or be a bit faster in terms of the performance. Ionic is usually the way to go. And especially if you like considering like server-side rendering, for instance, also that you could get out of the box, you can also hook that up with Angular. So it's a really good choice in that case. Okay. On the other hand, React Native, I think, has some some benefits over that and Flutter as well, because like the biggest difference for me between Flutter and uh, React Native really besides of like the ecosystem, the different different libraries and and things that you can use, which you have to kind of explore for yourself if this platform has all that you need. Uh, But the biggest difference is that Flutter doesn't allow you to update your application without going through the whole App Store approval process. And Ionic and React Native both have that capability. Mm-hmm. And this can be a big benefit of using those. Especially when you're at the beginning phase, when you want to be fast and be able to fix bugs quickly. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Exactly. That's 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 pretty important. Uh, but on the developer's experience, Flutter and React Native really uh, really also rock in like this really fast code reload. You can see results on, on your mobile screen, uh, whether that's a simulator or a device hooked up to your, to your computer. Mm-hmm. You can see the, those results very fast. You can inspect uh, everything really nicely. So that gets a little bit more native than Ionic with Cordova or Ionic with Capacitor. Yeah. So is there a case where you would recommend React Native or Flutter, for example, over Ionic? Yeah, definitely. Like the apps that we use Flutter for, for instance, are pretty heavy on like nice animations, visual cues when things are happening, you know, like uh, completing a to-do and you get this confetti rain falling or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You can do that with Ionic, for instance, but the performance cannot be that great. And you you can have visible, uh, you know, delays, low frame rate. And that's not what you want uh, in such cases. Mm -hmm. And so I saw that one of your multiple hat is that you are the Ionic Poland uh, meetup organizer. Does that mean it's your favorite? I would say it's one of the two favorite, like with Flutter and with Ionic. And why we started organizing is that because uh, we actually specialize and we have developed the most applications in Ionic. And, and I think our team has the most value to share in that space. And, and we wanted to kind of resurrect that community. And I would not say with like, Huge success because we've organized one event so far. Uh, we had pretty interesting uh, speakers. I was one of them, but we had two other great speakers. So if you want to learn more about uh, like moving, for instance, from Cordova to Capacitor, all the alternatives in uh, hybrid mobile development, you should check out the videos on, on YouTube, which I can share with you later on. Yep. But this is primarily the reason. So the, the experience that we can share, I wanted to contribute. But also Ionic hasn't yet been such a big community. It's growing right now, but that's why we haven't organized so many events. It was still hard to find good speakers. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you're you're raising an interesting point, which is you guys have built an experience with Ionic. And so you're leveraging that. You're able to be quick using that technology because you that's your technology of predilection right now. Mm-hmm. And that raised the point that it's very important to pick a technology that the team knows and understands so you can move fast. Yeah. Otherwise, you have to be willing to pay for the learning experience of your team, essentially. Yeah, that's true. So yet another hat that you're wearing is a lead recruiter at IT Craftship. And so you have clients that regularly come to you to find the right talent to build their mobile app. Yep. 
does that change your perspective on all those mobile technologies that you've mentioned before, or even the one that you haven't mentioned? It, it does change my perspective on that a lot. And mobile projects is actually probably the least frequent technology we're recruiting for. So uh, j just a small correction there. We recruit for all of the different technologies and we have technical recruiters that are skilled with everything ranging from .NET through Java and full stack JavaScript, even Golang PHP, mm -hmm. all of the different projects that we're doing. And the, the perspective that it gives me for mobile development and choosing the technologies, actually the talent availability, because I have, you know, a lot of different projects going on. I know how hard it is to convince developers to switch jobs. I know how hard it is to reach and find good talent and, and also motivate them to join your company, join your interesting project. I know how important it is for every founder at the beginning of their entrepreneurial journey, pick the right technology for what they're building. And uh, the right technology usually should also have the right talent availability. If you pick something that's really niche, and I've seen that happening a lot of times, mm -hmm. then in the end, you can end up with a very small and narrow talent pool. Then if you don't look outside of your geography, you might not be able to find anyone. Uh, if you reach out outside of your geography, you can still end up paying uh, a really, really high premium on the salaries. Mm -hmm. So for a young startup, this can be a killer to, to, to the revenues. It can be a killer to your runway. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, I would really recommend initially, especially looking at hybrid mobile technologies specifically around uh, JavaScript. So obviously uh, Ionic, obviously React Native. These are things where you don't really need to be an expert in mobile development. You can hire a good web developer who gets up to speed with those really fast. And uh, this is a huge benefit because it means that even if you have a more senior team, you want to add someone because you don't have the right velocity, you can hire a web developer. You can ha hire a regular or a mid-level developer, train them to work with React Native or Ionic React or Ionic Angular. And basically, they will be up to speed within, you know, like days, really, to, to, to be honest. Yeah. And, and that's what happened with us for, for many different projects. And it allowed us to scale those development teams quickly without, you know, ripping havoc on the budget. So that's been a, a huge benefit. So for instance, Flutter is growing really fast in the community. Yep. But, but there you're actually limited to just like right now, the, the mobile experience. It's growing in the desktop as well, but you're not going to get anything like server-side rendering. It's all rendered on the canvas. Mm -hmm. So like it's not going to work for a lot of different cases. And in, in some cases where you might need SEO, for instance, the improvement. And so Flutter limits a, a lot of the things, uh, but at the same time, its community is growing uh, enormously fast. So talent availability there is also nice. And a lot of people from native development in Android and iOS are actually moving towards Flutter. And it wasn't like that with all the other technologies. So when we're interviewing, interviewing candidates, mm -hmm. native developers, were very unlikely to switch to using hybrid uh, mobile technologies. And right now with Flutter, they're actually considering looking at that because, you know, uh, there's uh, sim similar approaches uh, in, in Flutter as right now becoming popular with, with iOS, for instance, with the Swift UI. 
that was what's called yeah Swift UI, which is you know similar patterns. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, very very much like React, also in terms of the component or widget tree. So it sounds like picking the right technology for your project is kind of a complex equation of the technology that will allow you to actually do what you want to do, the availability of resources in your local market uh, that you can hire and afford, and then whatever you know preferences you might have personally for your project so exactly i mean it's hard it's a question that we get that i get regularly of like what's the right technology so that's that's a great answer there yeah thanks so finding the right developer can be hard for those who make the jump and hire somebody to work remotely as a freelancer do you have any advice on how to make that relationship work yeah so like Hiring is, is kind of my specialty. And if you're hiring, um, whether you're hiring a freelancer, or whether you're hiring actually a person to work with you on a full-time basis, it is really, really good to kind of create a trial where you can see how you're working together. Mm-hmm. So like there's, there's a lot of different criteria that you can do and a lot of different screening that you could do on freelancers, like technical challenges and all that stuff. But let's assume that you're not so technical and you can't do that. So you, you'll basically base your choice mostly on different either referrals or based on recommendations in a, in a specific platform. You see the, the, the rates that people are getting the review and then based on that, you're picking your you know, top list. I would then definitely make a trial with, with some of these people, give them a small task, pay them, of course, for the work that they're doing and see how they communicate with you. Do they ask questions about what needs to be delivered? Do they make sure that what they're building is actually aligned with what you intended them to build? Because usually very early on, and especially when you're hiring a freelancer, that means that you're probably quite inexperienced in terms of building uh, building the different products that you want to build. Mm-hmm. In that case, I, I really recommend to, to take this trial, have a small step, invest in three different or, or at least two different you know, people to work with, and then you know, basically commit to the best. You, you don't have to do that parallelly if you want to be like, you know, really transparent about it, being a, also a pretty great person about it, is to do it in a sequential way. So, you know, give yourself a little bit more time, yeah. spend some time with one freelancer. You know, if that works really well, let's just continue. But if that doesn't, then just have a list of, of people that you want to come back to and, and do the same trial again. And this actually will help you determine the most important thing, like as a freelancer, how that person delivers. Do you need to push them or will they actually give you regular feedback? Do they understand what you're building? They ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the, the important things that, that you should be looking at. And at the end, do they actually show you visible progress very frequently? Like if you don't get uh, demos of what someone is building, if they're sitting behind the curtain and then waiting for this big opening of what they've built, that's going to end up really badly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's good advice. Like, I kind of have a similar perspective, which is when you work on a project with somebody else, the relationship that you have with them, and so that includes, you know, the communication and all that, is almost as important as their yeah. technology knowledge in a way. Exactly. Because they can be the most knowledgeable, but if they don't, if you don't get along with them, then the project is not going to go well. So that's really great. Yeah, that's true. Do those advice for you change in any way if you're hiring an employee versus a freelancer? Well, to be honest, that doesn't change a lot. It's just that when you're hiring an employee, you probably have to think a little more more long term in terms of like how the person is going to grow within your company, within your project, like what other people are going to be adding to the team. So would that person, because sometimes if, if, if working with a freelancer can be good 
at the beginning of the collaboration, it might not work so well where you're actually building a team. Freelancer, freelancers in many cases uh, are not used to working in a lot of teams, like mm -hmm. the formal peer review processes, you know, Scrum, Kanban, and, and agile methodologies that are a little bit more formalized than just, you know, being a, a lone person on the project and communicating with your client, uh, like resolving merge conflicts in, in a bigger team, having good practices on branching strategies that all comes with experience working within teams. Yes, that's true. So. Like I would uh, look at that, you know, like like a freelancer could, could be a freelancer just because it's like time in their career, uh, but they could have a similar career for, for most of their time. So like these professional freelancers, and uh, it can be, like I said, in some uh, cases, when you're building a team around your product, you might look for some, some uh, other types of people who have a little bit of a different experience. So you might outgrow the freelancer type. Interesting. This is, I believe, the only difference that you would look at. But uh, as far as the screening, then, you know, uh, same things would apply. But for a full-time employee, I would be a lot more uh, vigilant uh, because we're making a bigger commitment, right? You're, you're putting someone on your payroll. Yes. For a lengthy period of time, uh, you're onboarding them to to your your company. You're onboarding them to your project. So usually, you have already something established, and that takes a lot of time and effort. This is why I would pay a little bit more attention with the screening. Try to try to make it measurable and uh, try to uh, really quantify what what kind of traits you're looking at. And at the end, I still recommend it, a short trial period that you pay for. It's a great way. Make sure that that when you start working together, it's gonna last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really, the only real way to spend some time together, I guess. Yep. Go on a trip yeah. <laughs> and work together. That's true. <laughs> All right. And other frequent question that I get is, is it better to find a CTO co-founder or to hire a freelancer to build your first version of your mobile app? What's your take on that? That's, that's actually a, a pretty great question. That really depends on how you're approaching your product development. Mm -hmm. In many cases, people think that like building an app is... Like I'm going to hire someone for three months. They're going to build what I told them. They're going to release that. And wow, it's going to be so awesome. Everybody's going to use it and buy it and whatnot. But that, that's not actually how this happens. It's, it's a journey. That's so true. And on this journey, you might need to pivot several times. So if you come to this mindset that you're going to hire a freelancer or even an agency that will develop this MVP for you. Mm -hmm. If you haven't thought about having a budget for the next iteration and the third iteration, then you might end up with a product that you paid for and nobody is, is going to use. So whether you need a co-founder or, or not, or a CTO, or, or you can use a freelancer agency, I think it's not the, it isn't necessarily the, the right question. You just make sure that with the choice that you go, you have the budget to go for a longer period of time because building a product is going to take pivoting, is going to take learning. And during the fa first phase, like building your early product MVP proof or even earlier proof of concept, you need to maximize the learning. So you need to release as fast as possible. You need to be able to iterate fast. And usually it's actually good to have someone uh, full-time in, in that pretty early stage. But I don't necessarily think that it should be a super lead or tech lead person that you know needs to be a co-founder because uh, if they don't get equity, you wouldn't be able to afford them. Mm -hmm. Like I've seen teams and I've actually built teams where you can quite successfully develop a nice product by hiring some really good people who are really senior, like tech leads mm -hmm. and uh, hire them part-time. 
even uh, outsource them to, to a good agency who's really experienced in digital product development. And that part of the team needs to be really experienced, like the product owner, like the, like the technical lead, but you don't need a lot of their time. You usually need, you know, anywhere between five to 10 hours per week. And then uh, also a QA person, which you also don't need necessarily, especially at the beginning, you can do the QA yourself, but the developer will need to put really a lot of time. And that's usually uh, the full-time role. And here, if you have the other folks helping you, that could be mid-level, regular developer who's really good at delivering, who's really good at communicating, who will be actually also eager to learn from the tech lead. And, you know, you can, with a reasonable budget, you can create a small team that's that's mixed between like part-time people and a full-time person that will be really productive. And, and that will expand your budget compared to, for instance, working with agencies that will charge you, you know, premium rates for setting up the whole team and and what they'll do and what they really do under the hood is putting the tech lead for five to ten hours putting the po putting the qa and then giving you this uh, junior <laughs> do the same thing yeah they're, they're, and then adding this junior developer where they can you know really optimize their profit margin and, and that the the junior the mid-level person is going to do bulk of the work uh, because it, otherwise uh, otherwise you know it just wouldn't make the business sense for them so you could do that yourself but it make it, it it's going to be just more challenging yeah yeah i like that approach that you mentioned of like finding somebody senior who can kind of lead the development and the engineering and make sure you go in the right direction and then having somebody more junior that can actually do the bulk of the work and save you some money there because you don't have to pay them as much um so that's great advice exactly but to answer this question more specifically yep. a cto co-founder would be really nice but you're gonna dilute your equity like it's a, it's a decision yeah. that you need to make from the business perspective you could do that without diluting your equity you're gonna have to invest a little bit more mm -hmm. but that depends really on where you are uh, like your co-founder really you know someone that you know or are, are you going to be like looking for a co-founder which can be really tricky it's you know it's like marriage takes time I had several co-founders, you know, and just the, the one marriage worked out. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's the downside of finding a CTO co-founder is if you haven't met him yet or her, for that matter, finding the right person will take time where finding a freelancer can usually be, since it's a yep. shorter commitment, can usually be a little quicker. Exactly. Okay. Well, those were, those were all the questions that I had for you today. The last question that I have is if people want to learn more about what you said and follow you online, where can they go? Yeah, well, for sure, they could look me up on LinkedIn. This is probably the place where I'm the most active, being uh, the act, an act recruiter. Mm -hmm. So it's at uh, linkedin.com slash n slash Maximilian Meyer. It's all together, no spaces. Yeah, and and my Twitter uh, and my Twitter feed is also uh, something that you can follow. I, I wouldn't say I'm very active there. This is one of my plans for 2021 to be a little bit more active on social media <laughs> and uh, a little bit more active with sharing the the things that created within our team, but also myself, uh, which is probably also something uh, that that you can take a look at. Yep. An interesting, interesting open source project that that my team has just recently delivered, the TrueForder mobile application built in Flutter, mm -hmm. which actually includes a full tutorial on how to set up a CI and CD to do build automation for your Flutter mobile application. Okay. And right now we're also working on Ionic capacitor version for Android and iOS, and then we're going to do React Native. So we're going to have 
all of the different uh, setups ready. Quite a project there. Yeah, yeah. So you can compare how the developer experience looks also from the app delivery and also test automation because I'm, I'm really big fan of, of test automation, of test-driven approach. Mm -hmm. So besides of comparing uh, how you like work within a specific framework, I really like to compare how testing looks like within different frameworks. Sounds like another episode in the making right there. <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> Definitely for next time. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you very much, Max, for being with us today. And uh, maybe we'll have you on the podcast another time. Awesome. That would be lovely. Thanks a lot, Oliver, for having me. I hope that's going to be valuable to your listeners. Thanks for listening to the Mobile App Makers podcast. I'm Olivier Destrobeck. You can find more info on building mobile apps at mobileappmakers.chat.